Essentially, it's like trying to chase the horizon, right? The closer you get to it, the further it moves. And this is what perfectionism is. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Salvador Dali, have no fear of perfection, you'll never reach it. My guest today, Dr. Thomas Curran, is an expert on the issue of perfectionism. Dr. Curran is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychological and Behavioral Science at the London School of Economics. He's written about perfectionism in outlets such as the Harvard Business Review and the Wall Street Journal and delivered a popular TED Med talk, Our Dangerous Obsession with Perfectionism is Getting Worse. He's also the author of a new enlightening book, The Perfection Trap, Embracing the Power of Good Enough, which will be available by the time you hear this episode. Dr. Curran, welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Thanks for having me, Robert. All right. Given the topic and you know background in psychology, I, I feel it's only uh, appropriate to ask you about your childhood. Uh, you know, where, <laughs> did you live in a household where there was lack of perfectionism? Perfectionism. What did you study? You know, it seems like we should start there. Absolutely. I feel like I'm on the armchair already. <laughs> um, you know what? Like, it's really interesting. My my childhood is not a conventional academic childhood. So I grew up in a small town and small towns in the United Kingdom where I grew up, uh, very similar to small towns in the US. Uh, the deindustrialization had taken its toll and it was slowly grinding downwards and opportunities were sparse within the town and in order to sort of make something you had to go out you had to move away yeah. so my childhood is really about uh, racing to adulthood so that <laughs> i could move out <laughs> and so to do that you needed to be perfect in some places <laughs> i guess at some level like uh you know there's a sense of overcompensation for from a background and not wanting it to define me there's definitely all sorts of those sorts of things that played out in my young adulthood um, but anyway, you know, I wanted, I went to university, I got a degree. I, I must've done quite well because I got offered a place to do a PhD. And then I started to think a lot deeper about these psychological processes and perfectionism was something I was drawn to. And, and here we are. So what sparked your interest in perfectionism in particular? I think it was uh, like everybody, any psychologist that you speak to, there'll always be a kernel of personal relevance yeah. right yeah. and and that's certainly the case for me i would call myself a, a recovering perfectionist i still <laughs> struggle with it and a lot of it is it, it's all sorts of areas that it came from but i think it definitely there was something about overcompensating for growing up a little bit behind um and trying to kind of out compete with people who i saw like just far more intelligent far more right. Uh, erudite far uh, presented themselves in ways that was much uh, more attractive and alluring and just kind of carried themselves, I suppose, with an extra, I don't know, something. And I was trying as hard as I possibly can, late nights, working hard to kind of lift myself above these people, uh, overcompensate, as I said, for my background. And, and over time, I think that internalized pressure really created a lot of negative psychological issues things like low mood depression anxiety and and certainly burnout i mean i just felt so cynical and at the end of the road with my kind of obsessive pushing yeah. when it came to my work and that kind of culminated in a lot of i would say quite significant mental health problems and at that point i sought help 
I came to the realization it was my perfectionism at the root of those things. Mm. And that really pushed me to look into more detail about this thing. And I couldn't really find much about it. You know, it's really strange. There wasn't a great deal of research when I first started looking at perfectionism. So I kind of just thought, well, let's go for it. Let's let's try and work out what this thing is, why it's impacting us. And, and importantly, what's going on at a societal level? Why does it seem that it's not just me, that it's so many other people that are struggling with this personality trait? So uh, that was kind of my motivation. And, and over 10 or so years being in academia now, those are the, those are the questions I've tried to address. Yeah, so it's always it's always interesting to me when there's a personal motivation. Um, so you have this TED Med talk. The title is "Our Dangerous Obsession with Perfectionism is Getting Worse." So I'd love to. How is it escalating, or what measures have you seen of the escalation? And I guess related to that, what are the societal implications of this getting worse? Yeah, so I'll take the first question because that's a really easy one to answer for an academic because it's data-based and i can tell yeah. you exactly the percentages <laughs> so get ready right. what are the actual numbers <laughs> i think people feel this but i'd love to hear the data behind it okay well get ready with your paper and pencils yeah. everybody out there okay so uh well let's start first of all there's three core elements of perfectionism that we understand the express within people the first is self-oriented so that's perfection that comes from within so the sense that i need to be perfect and nothing yeah. but perfect and i'm really critical of myself and i'm not perfect that's self-oriented the second uh, type of perfection is socially prescribed that's the sense that other people and everyone in my environment expects me to be perfect and if i'm not perfect they're waiting to pounce and the third element is called other-oriented perfection. So that's perfectionism turned outwards onto other people so that i expect you to be perfect and if you're not perfect then i'm going to let you know those are my least favorite people. I'll give you an example yeah. of that in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it because I've also got a few examples. The as grammarism well. people, they're <laughs> the ones who they just can't not write to someone when they see a typo or something with a long letter. Oh, we could have a really good conversation. <laughs> we're, we're about to, but I'll let you finish answering that question first. It'll be very therapeutic as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, those are the three elements of perfectionism and, and I've studied them over, over many years and one of the things I wanted to do was to try to identify what's going on over time with these three things, because we measure them using a questionnaire. And what's really cool is we've measured them for about 30 years now, and we've got lots and lots of uh, student data on these three elements. So what we can do is essentially um, go into the literature, draw out all the possible measurements of these forms of perfectionism, and then string them over time. Now, what we're seeing when we do that is self-oriented and other-oriented perfectionism are, are increasing very slightly. Okay, the, the increases are small and there's a lot of noise in the data. Is that the first two of the three you said? Self-oriented and other-oriented, right? Okay. Self and other. Got it. Very small increases. We need to be very careful making sort of grand claims about these increases, but, but they are, it is detectable. But what's fascinating is the socially prescribed dimension of perfectionism. Remember, that's the one where everyone expects me to be perfect. That is on an exponential curve right now. So since about 2007, it started to skyrocket. And from the bottom of the trough of the, of the mm, trend... We all know what 2007 was, by the way. You know, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, very quiet year uh, yeah. <laughs> in the global world. <laughs> uh, there, not, were, there were some social media developments that year that I think were right historic. Yeah, there were. I think something went on with a bank called Bess, Lehman, or something yeah. else happened along those lines. But anyway... Um, this was a significant year, clearly, for a number of reasons. We could talk about that. But this is when it started to skyrocket. 
And we see from the bottom to the top an increase of just over 7%. But if we look at that at a birth cohort level, we, we can estimate that the increase is about 40%. So people in uh, 2023 have so levels of socially prescribed perfectionism that are about 40% higher than people in 1989, young people in 1989. And, and really that's staggering. That's huge. And it's something we should be paying attention to, I think. Now, I know it was around 2010, Instagram launched first facing camera. There's been a lot of change uh, around the first kind of self-facing camera and Apple and the iPhone. This is when we started to see the the curated pieces of everyone else's life, right? I mean, I have to think that's a that's a big part of this. And and not the 95% that is probably the 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 more of the reality. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Social media is a huge driver. I don't, you know, this, these uh, relationships and these uh, data analysis yeah. that we do aren't causal. So just have to be very careful to say that at the very front end. But yeah, of course, you know, social media, limitless images of perfection that are bombarded as 24 7, plus the targeted advertising. Perceived perfection, right? Perceived perfection. <laughs> but this is like, you know, yeah, they are just advertising devices. I mean, the, the right. uh, platforms... But I'm, I'm talking about my perfect marriage and the anniversary and, and bragging about it when I am on the precipice of divorce. Like, I think that's a very important nuance here. Exactly. But why do we do that? Because we're mim it's a mimic rivalry of and everyone else is doing it, right? So yeah. everyone else is curating this kind of perfect life and lifestyle. And so, you know, we feel compelled to do so too. It's like a kind of arms race <laughs> where, yeah. you know, because everyone else is doing it, it makes no one more likely to succeed or ever feel like they're ever enough because yeah. they're just kind of inside this um, hyper-reality of social media. I, you know, And the reason I bring up advertising is because this is essentially what these platforms are. They're advertising devices. They're not, you know, the platform uh, industry is not, uh, social media doesn't disguise this. Uh, you know, these images of, you know, lives and lifestyles perfection are kind of almost engineered because they create a sense of disaffection, a disappointment, a dissatisfaction with existing life affairs, and then bam, here's a targeted ad. And that really is the model that's, that's predicated on. Now, of course, we're the content creators. So this is way worse than analog advertising because we are creating the discontent yeah. into which these, these targeted ads Right, but nevertheless, this is this is kind of the the social media world, the social media ecosphere, and there is no doubt that since two thousand and seven, since it's kind of been implanted into our lives through smartphones, it's created this kind of limitless uh, hyper reality of perfection, and that's one of the reasons why perfectionism is increasing for sure. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. 
LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So let's dive into two things because there's one thing I have just been so frustrated with the cause and, and that's the education system. Um, and I know you're, you're coming at it from the British perspective or European, and I'm sure you've looked at the U S education system, but, but, and, and I think generally higher education you know, I, this is overly simplistic, but I have found with colleagues and stuff in Europe or the UK, it's like maybe you went to LBS or Oxford or London, but after that kind of, it didn't really matter. Like it, you went to a university and here it's so focused on these top schools and everyone getting into the top schools. And then everyone in high school is so focused on it. And so, and the schools are demanding perfection and therefore, you know, it, it's, it's, What's crazy to me, let me actually get a question out of this <laughs> statement, is that objectively, the way you build resilience and learn to deal with things is kind of failing and learning at a young age when the stakes are lower. We have made these kids increasingly feel that they cannot get anything wrong in their childhood now. And then they are sitting full of depression, anxiety, and everything when they get into the real world after they get out of college. It just seems like this higher education you have. And the schools are to blame for this. Like, you know, I've been on these calls. You you, you get a B plus or an A minus and like you're not coming to our our school in a course that you're never going to focus on or you don't care about or isn't part of your, your major. So, I, I mean, what are we doing to kids by teaching them, you know, not to get things where it's okay to fail or make mistakes when the stakes are ostensibly uh, or objectively lower? Well, so first of all, thank you for that, because I think we do need to talk about schooling and the impact that high pressures, high stakes schooling is having on young people's mental health. We also need to talk about parents into this equation, too, because they're a crucial part. They're horrible. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> this method of parenting in the last 20 years and the education system combined is is creating this. Yeah. And I think we have to I, I try and come at this with. um with it, trying to step back a little bit and look what's going on here. And what's going on is you have a few things happening at the same time, which are creating a lot of pressure. So at the same time as schools and universities are becoming so competitive, I mean, it is yeah. crazy how competitive it is now to get into the Ivy League uh, universities. But you have to be good at everything, which is kind of right. also paradoxical to where I'm guessing if you had a passion for psychology and all this stuff that you probably weren't great at these other subjects and we're never going to be good at them no and but that's not unfortunately these days if you're a young person want to get into harvard yeah whatever you've got to have a cv that is across no everything. mistakes no mistake i mean look at the varsity blues uh scandal they knew how to game the system because they understood that in order to get into these places you kind of have to have a spotless uh yeah. scorecard <laughs> And the only way you can do that is A, B, a six sigma 
young person. That's <laughs> yeah. basically one one in a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand, or or you in, you employ someone who knows exactly how to make that happen, right? right? And that's the only way you get in. And by the way, the data does not show that people are smarter or doing better than going to these schools. In fact, they're probably all riddled with mental health issues. You know, when you look at like the out, this is what's crazy to me. The outcomes are measurably worse across society. And so, but no one's been willing to say, maybe we should stop this or or change this nobody's spoken up yet but i think there is uh movements in that direction yeah but i think the foundation to this is that pressure and if you want to understand why parents are hyper vigilant and helicoptering and all the rest of it you kind of have to start there because the pressures are real they're alive and the other thing that's also happening at the same time as this intense pressure is that the economy is slowing down secularly slowing yeah. down and this is creating a difficulty for young people to access the jobs and the lifestyles that their parents were able to access from an earlier age and with far more opportunities to ascend as to say have a middle class lifestyle this is becoming much more difficult for young people not impossible we're still seeing young people ascend we're still seeing social mobility on it's slower but it's happening uh, but it's much harder now for young people with the economy slowing down to you know have the expectation that they think is the good life or what they should have by a certain age, you know, college degree, house, car, family, all the rest of it attained because it's much more difficult now to yeah. tick all those boxes. And so those are the two things that are going on. College becoming more competitive, the economy is starting to slow down. And what we're seeing is young people internalizing that and taking it on themselves as a need to be perfect because the only way I'm going to secure my future is to be perfect because if I'm not, well, I'm going to fall down. Now, parents also see that. They internalize that pressure. They know that they have to push their kids because if they don't push their kids, then unfortunately the same, you know, the same anxieties that are swirling around in their heads. And so what this creates is kind of a pressurized environment where everyone's worried about failing. Everyone's worried about getting a bad grade uh, because it might ruin their future chances. So, and young people pick up on this. You know, if my parents are really anxious and worried about me failing then that's going to mean i'm going to be really anxious and worried about failing too so i'm going to start to recoil from situations where maybe i might fail uh, and i'm going to start to worry and and think too much about the implications of that fail which makes me less resilient because then when i inevitably do encounter it i don't know how to deal with it right, so exactly. I, I suppose what i'm trying to say and what my book is trying to describe is that we tend to i think over individualize these issues when it's a much there's much broader forces that are occurring that are pushing on the on that psychology that we see in young people and i think perfectionism is a key to understanding it well some of it is a little bit looking within i think as you said or why am i doing this so as i, I said point out the grammarism right so i i wrote a friday forward post a few weeks ago i got the most responses i've gotten in years around it was kind of talking about the feedback that i that i get from people sometime when there's a spelling mistake and not the hey i just wanted to point it out but like you know hey there is this thing that you said in there and this is a free newsletter they signed up for or i actually had done a quote that is a famous quote that is very misattributed to someone and i put author unknown because i used a paraphrase i found of the quote and it's heavily disputed so they mm. all wrote you used the wrong quote you didn't attribute you know whatever i wrote back to all of these people and said thank you so much for pointing that out um this quote is very much in dispute and several as i learned i don't know if you use quotes in your book but when your publisher goes to research them they tell you that half the ones you you found her wrong. And, and I said, it's very much in research. Here's this site quote investigator that, that shows how this was said much earlier by several people before this person. 
none of those were people who wrote back to me. And, and wow. part of the thing was like, I, I feel like they're perpetuating some cycle of violence onto themselves where they don't even realize it, where someone yelled at them about their grammar or about perfect, probably a teacher or a parent, and they just do it to strangers and don't even internalize that like they hated it. <laughs> it was not something they enjoyed, but now they find themselves perpetuating the cycle of violence for no good reason for people that they're not even in relationships with or know very well. And it's funny again, just like, Hey, super nicely, you're not right. You know, and, and they couldn't even respond like, Oh, that's interesting or something like that. So I'll, I'll leave you with all that. Well, I think we live in a world of the gotcha, you know, the kind of, uh, the epic fail, the, yeah. you know, the sense that there is a perfect way to behave, to look, to appear, to, uh, to values, to hold all of these things that, you know, and we think that if somebody else falls short of that benchmark that we we need to let them know because that yeah. <laughs> then it, it reflects well on me because i i have you know an, a higher moral capacity or uh, right. I, I want to correct you on this that and the other because there's a sense in ourselves that we need to be perfect again this all goes back to you know a need and a desire in ourselves and it's all projection mainly you know it's really interesting you say that because i also myself get feedback on the book right because it's out in the uk so i've had people you know yeah. writing reviews and all the rest of it and it's really tough actually as, as a perfectionist because you you ignore all the really positive stuff and zero in on the negative stuff yeah the on the one person and I, you know the one thing i would look at on goodreads was does this person write all one star reviews because <laughs> that, that can help you feel better and by the way if you've written 500 one star reviews like what does that say about how you spend your time and energy yeah it's <laughs> it, yeah and the, but but the point is like you know they can be quite personal. Like they, yeah. if it's a one star review, you could really like have take you and you think, oh my goodness me, what on earth could I have done? And then you kind of have to rationalize that that this is really more of a them problem than a you problem, right? Like yeah. that this is kind of just a, a way of getting something out. And I, and I think for me that really helps deal with those kind of more negative forms of feedback. Uh, it doesn't mean and I don't not think about it at all, but I just try to let it wash over me a little bit. But that sounds like it's that third one you were talking about, right? The now, I, sorry, I keep the labels, but how you push perfectionism on others. Exactly right. Yeah, other-oriented perfectionism is, is kind of a projection of our own perfectionistic stands onto other people. So right. you know, if I'm holding myself to this standard, you should too, because that's only fair, right? Right, and, and I think it's important for us to recognize again if we're trying to solve the problem for ourselves, then that is probably not an activity that is going to help us constantly pointing out other people's <laughs> flaws and imperfections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it does, nobody wins, right. In this right. situation, you, you, you feel bad about yourself because you know, you've had to be punitive and that has an impact on your social relationships. So you kind of sent, you find yourself being disconnected a lot from other people, which of course is not good for our mental health. Right. And it's not good for the other people too, because they, they take that face value. They don't see the projection that's going on and they think, Oh no, you know, I, I must've screwed up or I must've been terrible. I must've done something wrong. Yeah. So, you know, nobody wins in that, in that situation. So let's talk about The Perfection Trap, um, your new book. Um, can you make the case for your philosophy of learning to embrace good enough? Okay. So perfection, as, as actually your Salvador Dali quote at the very beginning uh, expressed, is an impossible goal. Yeah. And it's only going to store up misery for those who try to reach it because essentially it's like trying to chase the horizon. Right. right? The closer you get to it, the further it moves. 
And sometimes when you get too close to the sun, you get burned, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true as well. Yeah, yeah. actually, I like that. I'm going to use it. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of this constant and unending sense of striving, but it's no particular destination, right? And the better yeah. we do, the better we expect ourselves to do, the better we think we're expected to do. And it's kind of like playing Tetris, right? Every level, it gets more difficult. So my philosophy or my prescription of how we kind of break through this psychology is for us to accept ourselves and our circumstances for what they are and to try to live contentedly inside a reality that's messy, that's chaotic, that's imperfect, where things are going to happen to us all the time that we cannot control. Heartbreak, grief, people are um, going to say and do things that disappoint us. You know, we might get laid off. There's a global pandemic, right? (laughs) Comes and screws everything up. We can't control those things. certainly can't perfect them. And so for me, it's really about a whole mindset shift whereby instead of focusing on trying to the minute detail, perfect everything and all around us, but actually accept that there are limits to the things we can do. We are fallible human being. And sometimes good enough really is good enough. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if we've put our efforts into some work and we've met a target and we've hit the deadline, we send it off. And we know that we did our best and that's can only be, can only ever be good enough. We know that if we hit a setback, we fail, that there are things we couldn't control. And there are things out there that sometimes, and also for no good reason, we just fail. And this is part and parcel of being a human being. That's okay. We learn, we grow, we develop, we move on, we move forward. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash elevate harvard business review provides information tools and practical advice on leadership management and strategy through the hbr.org website their print publication and their podcast hbr.org is your go-to for leadership and business management articles a recent favorite is stop eliminating perfectly good candidates by asking them the wrong questions then there are other world famous case studies which premium subscribers can access as well HBR produces a number of leading podcasts from HBR on leadership to my favorite, the HBR IdeaCast podcast. A subscription to HBR also includes access to videos, the big idea, HBR magazine, and a wide variety of newsletters. While much of the Harvard Business Review content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE 
to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. Yeah, there are so many things in history where timing and luck, where the strategy done on Thursday would have failed on Saturday, you know, and someone looks brilliant and they were not that they weren't, but they got lucky, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard work. Of course, it's hard work. You, yeah. Nobody gets to the top without hard work, of course. But there is also the element of luck. We don't talk about that enough. Circumstance, yeah. happenstance. Sometimes things just fall in our place, and sometimes things don't fall in our place. And it's really important not to get despondent. It's really not important not to take those things personally. You know, fate. That's just fate. Sometimes fate is nothing personal. And I think, as a way of living, as a way of accepting that, you know where I am right now in this moment is good enough. And yeah. that's, I think for me, that's the most important breakthrough when it comes to perfectionism is acceptance, letting things go and knowing that good enough really is good enough. Well, you have a few other principles in the book. I thought it'd be helpful to kind of outline. Uh, the first is to uh, let things grow and prioritize what's important. So how do people know and what should they let go of and what should they prioritize? Well, the thing that perfectionists do a lot is they create to-do lists and they yeah. do that not because they're trying to organize, but they're trying to manage anxiety because they feel like, you know, we're going to overthink things. We can get things down. This is the most fail safe approach for things to not go wrong. However, what that means is we tend to overburden ourselves. We give ourselves too much to do. And sometimes it's important to reflect and look back and ask ourselves, okay, what needs to be done? What would be good to be done? And what would be desirable but not essential and if right. you can categorize your priorities on those three criteria then you'll be surprised at how much actually in this moment needs to be done it might be two or three very urgent things could be at your work could be in your social life could be could be anywhere any any part of your life but let's take work there could be one or two um things that are very urgent to do this day or this week and those are the things that need to be prioritized now these other broader goals that you know, you might have set in your annual review, well, they can be worked on at a later date or they can be worked on over a longer course of time, but these things are urgent in the moment. And that is a really good way of focusing your mind and also taking a, a broader look at what needs to be done and asking, okay, well, maybe that I can actually get rid of that. Because sometimes with these to-do lists, you know, you actually put stuff yeah. on there that you don't even need to do at all. But it just feels good to get it checked off, right? <laughs> I always say people pick the little things that they can check off rather than taking one step towards the big thing, which is probably more important. Exactly. And again, I was just about to come to this. This is what perfectionists are world champions at, procrastination. So the other thing to bear in mind is that when you have a, a set of things that you need to do, the hardest thing sometimes is to get started because it's it almost it feels too big. So again, if that's happening to you, you have to you have to try to chunk those bigger tasks that need to be done into perhaps smaller ones and think, okay, well, what can I do the next half an hour or hour that's going to get me started on this? Okay, I don't need to finish it, but I just need to get it started. So what would be a good accomplishment that I could, that I could do in half an hour or an hour where I could feel like I've got something done, I've been productive, and I've moved in the dire in a forward direction on this thing. So that's also quite an important uh, strategy to try to chunk those bigger ambitions because again those huge goals can be so draining for people who've got perfectionistic tendencies that they kind of will just put them off altogether unless there's something targeted and specific and direct that they can do in that moment so another principle meeting the world where it is i like the sound of that how do you do that well this is one that kind of has a personal element to it because as i mentioned i um 
grew up in a sort of small, poor town. And one of the things that I always put pressure on myself to do all my life really is to push through um, those disadvantages. And, and really, I never, ever allowed myself to accept myself as I was in that moment. I never allow myself to stop and say, actually, you know, what I have achieved to this date is good enough. And I always push myself to be doing more, to achieve more so that I could, you know, buy the next thing, have the house, have the car, find the partner, do all these things that I thought were really important, but nevertheless were really difficult because I didn't have, you know, some of the advantages that other people had. So I would never, ever, ever give myself permission to just sit back and go, wow, you know, I did a degree. Or wow, I know I did an advanced degree. Or wow, I know I did a PhD. Or oh my goodness, you know, I published these papers and oh look, you know, I'm in I've done a TED tour. Like never ever along that period did I ever allow myself to accept that those were really objectively like huge accomplishments because I was always thinking about the next thing. So meeting the world where it is is really kind of I mean, it's based in evidence, of course, but it's certainly a, a as something that's really helped me break my through my own perfectionism is to just accept that in this moment, I might not have everything. So for instance, right. I still don't own a house. Uh, I live in one of the most expensive cities in the world. So that doesn't help. Uh, but you know, so not all of my goals are fulfilled and I would be, you know, really anxious about that in the past, but now I can just let it go. You know, it is what it is. You know, one, it, I'll get there, you know, it's not going to be today. It might not be tomorrow, but I'll get there at some point. And, and actually, you know, what I have achieved and what I do have right now, I'm grateful for, and I can appreciate. And I, I think that, that gratitude, that sense of being in the moment, that sense of me, as I said, meeting the world where it is, uh, is just so psychologically liberating. And it's really been re rehabilitative for me in, in my journey, trying to overcome perfectionism. Well, the third principle you talked about, uh, striving for purpose rather than more, I don't know. I feel like I just read this book uh, from uh, Success to Success, Arthur Brooks. And I, I feel like this message I've heard a lot in the last year. And that is that when super high achievers achieve a goal, there's very little satisfaction. <laughs> yeah. They celebrate for 10 seconds. They look out and they move the goalpost and they pick the next mountain and like there's almost very little enjoyment in when they just kind of make it about like, oh, this is some objectified measure of of success because it's kind of a never enough, right? It's this, it's this more trap. Um yeah. I, yeah. And so I think the answer is yeah, how do you like you said, how do you define that purpose so that you're not always moving the goalposts? Well, that's classic perfectionism, by the way. And if yeah. your listeners are are tuning in and they're um they're finding that when they are, they do have uh, success or achieve something and their first feeling is relief. Like, Oh, thank God. You know, I didn't screw up this time. Then that's a classic telltale sign that there's some kind of perfectionism going on there. And this kind of restlessness, this need to do more, this sense that it's just not enough. What I have, what I've done today is also another classic telltale sign of perfectionism. So these things are really kind of intertwined with that kind of perfectionistic thinking. Um, and I think purpose helps us break through that incessant desire for more because purpose is not is not really an outcome. It's not something you can measure. It's certainly not something you can buy, but it's it's more about what we're leaving in the world. Like what is it actually physically that we are creating for others to use or enjoy or get benefit from? And, you know, if I could take the name off my book and just put it into the world, I'd be quite content with that knowing 
right. there's no ego involved that there's no sense of you know well this is the perfection trap by thomas curran yeah and then those negative reviews you know they're not and then it doesn't matter. Yeah. nobody knows so it's <laughs> perfect it's perfect but this is kind of what crafts people do my grandfather was a uh, master craftsman and he just made everyday things that people used his his uh banisters and window frames and bar um tops are still in pubs in my hometown today so i can go in there and feel an intimate connection with my grandfather even though sadly he's no longer with us because he built things with his hands that he left in the world for other people to use and they will go on being used way beyond you know uh, his life and i think there's something that's purpose you know that's a vocation that's right. a sense of pride and accomplishment in doing something meaningful and just doing it right yeah Exactly. That's not a, it's not about constantly striving to do more. It's not about worrying about what other people think. It's a sense of, as I say, it's a sense of pride and purpose. And I think we can learn a lot uh, from craftsmen when it comes to the way that we approach our own work and productivity. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So, I mean, as you've talked about, there's some, look, there's some positives and negatives, right, around perfectionism and performance. So what what are some ways in which it, it helps and it hurts from looking at from a performance standpoint? Well, what's really interesting is perfectionism has no correlation at all with performance when you look at the data. Huh. People are really surprised by that. Like, what's going on there? Because perfectionists work really, really hard, right? Is there a time horizon on that data? Well, it's so the what's going on is a couple of things, right? Like, so perfectionistic people burn out because they work hard, but they work too hard, right, and right. then they end up burning out. So, they yes, spend they, three years on the one thing that someone would have moved on from, yeah, exactly. So, they get quick wins, and if you look at it over the short term, you might see some benefit, but over it's not sustainable, it's just not a sustainable way to work. And the second reason is for this procrastination reason, right? Like, they work really hard, but as soon as they encounter setback or difficulty, then they kind of will hold themselves because you know you can't fail at something you didn't try at. So if you hold yourself back, you kind of it's almost like a self-preservation technique that uh, is used to excuse some kind of failure or defeat that you might have experienced. And we actually do this time and time again. And of course, that's not conducive to performance either, especially over the long run. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there aren't elements of perfectionism that can lead to higher levels of performance. And one of one of the things that's very closely linked to perfectionism that isn't perfectionism is something called conscientiousness. So conscientiousness is uh, an active, optimistic form of striving that comes from a desire to do more, to work hard, to put ourselves forward and develop and grow and all these kind of really nice things. Perfectionism, because it comes from quite a negative place where, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm imperfect and I'm trying to conceal and hide those imperfections. And that's where all my striving comes from, a kind of very defensive place. Then it tends to have kind of these very negative outcomes on performance. So if we can somehow separate the perfectionism, the kind of negative self-critical beliefs from the conscientiousness and just find the hope and joy uh, and uh, purpose in the striving itself, then that that is how we can sort of channel perfectionistic tendencies into something positive. But if we don't get rid of those self-critical elements, if we aren't able to manage the kind of thoughts of being imperfect and an imposter and not good enough, then you're going to find it's going to lead to... Um, not very good performance outcomes. So conscientiousness, yes, good. Meticulousness, good. Diligence, perseverance, all these things are wonderful. 
and we should try to hold on to them and, and channel them. But perfectionism, no. So if you had a megaphone after all the research you've done and you had to get a message out to parents and teachers and, and leaders and people who affect the kind of mindset of, of young individuals um, about perfectionism and, and its effects, what, what would you share? I would say you may think this is something that pushes you forward. You may think this is something that holds you up, this kind of mask of hyper-competency, maximization. You may think that on the surface, this is something we should be celebrating and lionizing. But actually, when you dig deeper, we find a lot of mental stress and distress alongside not much performance benefit, particularly in the long term. So don't strive for perfection, strive for progress, strive for find something that you you enjoy that you give finds give you purpose and importantly be conscientious meticulous and diligent or you know hard work there's nothing wrong with that at all having aspirations nothing wrong with that at all wanting to do the best you can possibly uh uh do is very very healthy and positive but don't chase perfection all right last question for you and this is uh i asked this of all my guests and it's multivariant so it could be uh, and there's no perfect answer, I should say. So it could be it could be singular or repeated or personal and professional. But what's a what's a mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from either kind of in your career or your personal life? I think the biggest mistake I've I've fallen into time and time again is is hyper competitiveness. Hmm. I think it's easy to fall into that trap in this society. We live in a very competitive society, very competitive economy. But I I found that a lot of uh, my stress, angst, worry came from a need to lift myself above other people and so falling into the trap of being competitive trying to outperform others trying to benchmark myself against other people was a really exhausting stressful debilitating way to exist it also exacerbated my perfectionism so i'd say the biggest mistake i made was to be way way too competitive and instead turning towards other people rather than away from them and once i did that and i collaborated and i learned i took what I could learn from other people, helped other people, offered my time and support and resources, I started to find that not only, you know, did I feel better, did I have much more warm and warmer social relationships, but also your performances increased too. And you build networks and uh, suddenly, you know, you have a much fuller and uh, more purposeful working relationship and environment. So I think that's the biggest mistake I made. Okay, great. Well, Dr. Kern, where can people learn more about you and your work in the book? So I'm on www.tomcurran.com. Tom spelled T-H-O-M, Curran spelled C-U-R-R-A-N. You can Google Thomas Curran, uh, I'll come up. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter, Tom underscore Curran, and on LinkedIn, Tom hyphen Curran. All right, well, thank you for joining us today. I think your work about around perfectionism is, is really important and needed in today's high-pressure uh, society. And I'll wish you a good enough book launch uh, this week. Thanks, Rose. Great to chat. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Dr. Curran and The Perfection Trap, which you can buy wherever books are sold on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you can just select the library icon, click on Elevate, and scroll down to the bottom to leave your review or rating. If you're listening in your browser or a different app, you can find easy links to review on other services such as Google Play, Stitcher, and more by following the link on the subscribe page under the podcast link at robertglazer.com. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.